in your roadmap to Hosea chapter 14. Now this may be part of the map that you have, uh, have not looked at in quite a while. This is uh, part of the map that is called the Minor Prophets. Now the Minor Prophets are not minor because they are insignificant, but rather they are shorter than the Major Prophets, <laughs> who are much longer. For instance, Isaiah spends 66 chapters telling us his prophecy... And thankfully, Hosea, being one of the longest of the minor prophets, only has 14 chapters. Some of them only have one chapter. And so they're minor only in the sense that they have abbreviated their message or the message they got from God was shorter. And you're thinking, boy, I hope the message that you have today is also shorter too. That you're a minor prophet. Some days you know you're a major prophet, big guy. And other days you are a minor prophet. So open today might turn out to be a minor prophet. Nonetheless, notice here... Notice here, as you're turning to Hosea, and, uh, and, and Hosea sort of leads, the, you know, he leads off the, uh, the 12, as they're called, the 12 minor prophets. Interesting, it's 12, right? God kind of likes that number in the Bible. We'll have to talk about that later. Let's start reading here with verse 4. Now, this is prophecy, so we really have to, we really have to sort of put, it our, put our hearing on in order to really hear what these prophets are saying. And God help us now to do that, we pray. Verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath My shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Now whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Let us pray. Oh God, would you give us a vision of what you see in us, in this world, and in your Son, Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, because He is God. Open our minds to see, ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Vision is one of these things that drives organizations, drives businesses, 
truly even drives our own nation. A vision of the future. A vision of what can be. And the Bible even will instruct us that where there is no vision, the people perish. But with vision, you have to begin with the end in mind. So what is our end as Christians? As Christian people, we also ought to operate with God's vision. So what is God's vision? It's Jesus. You already knew that. It's Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. That's like saying in Greek, you know, that's, that's the A to Z. He's the A and he's the Z. He is the beginning and the end. And the last thing he left us with was a great commission. To go into all the world and prepare people for his coming. Now, if that is the founding vision of Christianity, shouldn't we be abiding by that vision? Shouldn't we hold passionately that vision? Shouldn't we allow the mantle to be thrown upon us and bear the weight of that sort of vision? At our work, in our families, in our personal life. Truly, it is a vision worth living for. Interestingly, Coca-Cola, which I actually like better than Pepsi, sells about 2 billion products a day. That's a lot. That's a lot. You run a company that sells 2 billion products to anything, you're doing pretty good. You're doing well. And they sell about two billion a day around the world that you, you may not even know, but in Japan they have a drink you've never even heard of, some kind of love drink or something. And it sells like wildfire in Japan. We don't even have it here. So they've branched out from their original Coca-Cola classic, right? But what you may not understand is there is a vision involved in Coca-Cola. Sometimes we just kind of come to products or companies, we're like, oh, that's really neat, or to church, man, that's really, that's really rad. Use some old language. For those of you born in the 80s. But Coca-Cola has a driving vision from their founder, Mr. Woodruff. And many years ago, before you ever even started buying Coke products, that vision led them to where they are today. He said, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. What, what is, you know, what is that, that vision? Well, the vision may not even sound like much to you. The vision actually is this, within an arm's reach of desire. Coke, within an arm's reach of desire. That's the vision that the entire company has been built on. In other words, we want to give a Coke to everybody in the world within an arm's reach. They're getting pretty close with two billion a day. There's not many places in the world today that you can go that you can't reach out for a Coca-Cola. When I was in India, 
Coca-Cola's there. Third world countries, Coca-Cola's there. Within an arm's reach of desire. Now, they've gone through many different slogans, television, marketing thing. I mean, you remember maybe if you were around, I was not in 1971. A bunch of young people on a hilltop in Italy singing, I'd like to buy the, or I'd like to, what is it? Buy the world a Coke. Right? And it pans out. They didn't have drones back then, but I guess it was from a helicopter. Well, that was one of the greatest commercials ever, if, you're, if you know anything about marketing. The vision fueled the world to come together, and Coke was able to say something to the world in a very tumultuous time, and that is we can come together around a product called Coke. Now, you may remember some of this. They changed the formula, went back to Coca-Cola Classic because nobody liked it. It's interesting. People actually did like it. But it was that they didn't want to leave that old feeling of what Coke actually tasted like. Then they went to Diet Coke. Then they had slogans like, Coke adds life. Or maybe, have a Coke and a smile. Remember that one? Coke is, Coke is it. That was another one. Can't beat the feeling. Can't beat the real thing. Always Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, real. And now, all of a sudden, it's open happiness, right? You've seen it out there on your way to Research Park, I'm sure. Open happiness. You're like, man, I want a Coke. What, what, why, why is that important? Because look, we've got a product as Christians. We've got something that can unite the world better than a carbonated sugary drink. We've got Jesus and the fact that he wants to actually change lives for the better. And that vision of producing much fruit ought to drive everything that we do. Truly, our life doesn't make sense wandering around in the wilderness, trying to gain toys and happiness any other place than in Christ's vision for your life, for my life. There is no greater vision to live for than what our founder, not Mr. Woodruff, but our founder, Jesus Christ, gave to us. And it's truly, it's truly the very first commandment in the whole Bible. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus came to. To do. And truly, he is the vine by which we must get connected into in order to produce that kind of fruit. We all have this, you know, when you study religion, everybody across the board, there's something in common, all humanity has in common. That is, we ask the question, why? We wonder why we're here. We study why we're here. We research why we're here. The lions don't. The pandas don't. The squirrels aren't out convening today. Why do we want to collect nuts for the winter? They just do it. But we, we have to know why. We want to know why. And the reason why is because the Bible says God has placed within us eternity. We long 
to be significant. We long to have our life count. And your life will count no more than when you are connected to the vision of Jesus. I said a little moment ago, and I'm going to repeat it again, and that is stop asking God to bless what you're doing and join in with what he's already blessing. Don't try to force God to follow your hand in your path, in your ways, but rather cut off, lop off, end whatever might not be his vision for your life. Coke's done quite a, quite a cool thing by reaching around the world. But you know what? The gospel must go to all the world. And we've got to be just as creative. And one of the things at Harvest Point that we are founded upon, that is a driving mission at our church, is this idea of producing fruit. Now this is a... <laughs> whoo, people, people are listening online and stuff. You can't see this picture, but this is an old picture of me and Jessica and Mr. Jackson. When we first moved here, this is 2007, all right? We're babies. Some of you like, you still look like a baby. Those people that, the people that assisted living, they, they definitely think I, I am. The, that guy's the preacher. He's giving me communion today. Yes, ma'am, unfortunately I am, so uh, <laughs> bear with me. But this, this was our first card after we had captured the vision of what God wanted to do at a place called Harvest Point that didn't even exist. And so we put our picture on here, Marshall and Jessica and Jackson Dagg bearing fruit in North Alabama. Now, we didn't have a clue what that would look like. There was no fruit from what we were doing in North Alabama. We had just gotten here. All we had was a commission from Jesus saying go. And we accepted. As crazy as it was, we accepted. And we came here with a driving vision to help people produce fruit. And if you open up the card, which is old school, I mean, I actually keep this in my truck door, so you can see it's got some oil on it and stuff like that. Keep this in my truck door to remind myself of the vision that God gave us so many years ago. Tend to be exact. This actually, this same picture is in a magnet form. We only, when we ordered a bunch of these, we only got one magnet, you know? They just threw a magnet in for free to try to get us to buy more. It's on Justin's refrigerator right now. He's the only one who got it. We, now, now, at the time, you were living in Mobile, wasn't it? Or no, 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 you were West Virginia. Now, we had no clue we were going to you know, join none of that, none of that. All we had was a vision from God and trying to be obedient to him. But look around the room today. Listen to what all the things that happened just this past week of people being ministered to, kids being discipled, the gospel going forward, people actually using their gifts for Jesus, growing something to share with Madison, Huntsville, Athens, Decatur area, North Alabama... God came through with his... It wasn't my genius. This guy right here didn't have a clue what he was doing. This guy right here still don't have a clue what he's doing. I'm just trying to be led by the Spirit and follow the vision of producing much fruit in North Alabama. And look around the room today and God brought us together. 
Now, some of you may remember some of our very first meetings. They actually happened at Adtran with the Speakmans. So it was me, Rachel, and Casey. That was it. That was the first small group. From there, a couple other people came on board. We started meeting at a Nazarene church, having these little small group, trying to envision and capture what God wanted us to do. And you know what? That small group grew to a community of people. Then we started meeting on Sundays because we finally had enough people to do that. And then years later, here we sit. And you may not have been a part of those first meetings. Maybe not that first service. But I wonder if you would join into this vision so that you can be sitting there one day when we open up a new facility for Jesus. That's got his name stamped on it. That's a place dedicated in the world. A a place that God chooses us to be. And you're sitting there celebrating with us. Bearing his fruit and sharing his fruit with the world. I think that's a vision that he wants to have for all people. One of the things that I lacked in my own personal life growing up in church was I heard it all, I saw it all, but I was not actually using my gifts for Jesus. See, I don't really have that great of a gift or I can't really do that much. Look, there's all kinds of things that God can use to change the world. Did you not hear the reading just a moment ago, the response? God likes to use the foolish things of the world to show up the wise. He said, I'm not that bright. I'm not the sharpest, you know, knife in the drawer. Hey, that's all right. God's looking for that kind of person. Do you know that there are some people that are sitting right here today because somebody just spoke a word in Target? Just struck up a conversation in Target. And the maids are serving with us today. Somebody put a sign out that said Harvest Point meets at 8, or at the time, I think we were meeting at uh, 8.30, Ooh, 9 o'clock in the morning. And somebody drove past that sign, and they said, you know what, I'm going to stop the next Sunday, and the arenas are with us. Just put out a sign. Now, I used to have the pleasure of putting out the sign every day. I'd drive down to the bottom of Gooch Place, put the sign out, go back up. But you know what? We've got some people serving right now doing the signs out by the road. And those signs, I pray over those signs. Nothing special about the sign. Really, we need to update all the signs. Need to get bigger signs. I can't do that. But you know, one of the guys that puts out the signs, he's there because somebody was buying a trampoline from Jessica and we struck up a conversation and guess what? Pete Davidovsky's serving with us. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's loving people and reaching out and listening to God. And when God prompts us, doing it. That's how simple it is. But yet, there's something in us, isn't it? Just forgets. Remember, but we forget. 
There's something in us that just doesn't want to abide by that sort of vision, but wants to get on our own path. So he says, okay, okay, okay. All right. I think, I think that vision of life, bearing fruit, doing good in this community, doing what God wants me to do, using my body to glorify him, I think that's a great thing. How do I do it? Well, the Bible calls us, and you see here in Hosea, right? Now, Hosea, too long of a story for me to go into, but you really should read it today. Fascinating. His wife's name's Gomer, just to give you a... I mean, just think about that real quick, okay? But now we're coming down to the end, and here's the deal. God says, look, I am actually for Israel. Now, you have to, if you read the chapters before, it didn't sound like he was for them. He's coming at them hard. He's coming at them with an axe. But now he says, look, I'm for you. And then notice, O Ephraim, what have I? This is verse 8 of 14. What have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. You say, how do I start doing something significant for Jesus? You have to abide in him. It's just as simple as that. It's not about trying harder. It's not by going your own way and just, just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and just plugging away. No, it's by turning to Jesus and living in Him. Isn't that what John 15 is all about? I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. C.S. Lewis says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. But there's something in us that says... No, I've been doing pretty good. I, I think real progressively about the world. Maybe I am a progressive. But are you progressing in the right direction? Because to speed up the train gets you further away from the mark of Christ. Our mark is not another nation. Our mark is not another person. But Christ. That's a high mark. That's a high calling. And every single one of us are called to Him. To be like Him. So if you want to produce fruit, you must abide in Him. If you're going the wrong way, you have to admit that and confess that and turn around. It's the only way forward. Confession is a lost art in the church, especially in Protestantism. 
We don't have a priest that you go to. I don't sit in a box on the weekdays and listen to hear people confess to me things. But you know what? Our small groups can be a place. Even groups outside of that that form can be a place where we obey what James says. And that is confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. The purpose of confession is so that you might be healed. If you've never confessed in your life, you need to really ask yourself if you are really a Christian. So why would you say that? (laughs) To be like Christ is nothing easy. Everything in you will fight it. It is our sinful nature. That's why our sinful nature must die. We cannot continue as we are. We must put it to death. I got an email this morning, as I do every single morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning. It is the word of the day. And the word of the day today is a word called macerate. Now maybe some of you genius chefs have heard of this term, but it also has a secondary meaning in Latin, and that is to mortify. And he said, mortify? Well, that's a, that's a big word for this morning. <laughs> Don't really use that one much. Mortify is to put to death. Put it to death. Mortify the deeds of the body. John Wesley talks much about mortification, denying yourself, because guess what? So does Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The only way to produce fruit is to die to yourself and abide in Christ. You see, many of us, if we were able to see our lives the way God sees us, we have so many things that are growing on this tree of our life. Things like kudzu. Are you familiar with kudzu? This little vine that grows up trees, and you'll see it spread across even a valley sometimes, and there's no trees any longer standing in that valley. And the reason why is because this one little vine, this kudzu vine, will creep up a huge oak tree, and over time, spread its little leaves, add more vines to the tree, until it literally chokes out the light. And when the light is choked out, the tree dies. It doesn't happen overnight. That's not the way kudzu works. But it happens over time. And if we could see our spiritual life, some of us are covered with our schedule, with things, with debt, with you name it. And if we could just see ourselves spiritually, there's no light coming into our life from week to week. This is about the only light you get is a little peak on Sunday. That's not enough to sustain you, my friends. Let's let the divine woodsman that we talked about during Advent, he's whistling, I can see him coming through the woods that John talked about, that's actually on the front of our bulletin. You may see 
on the front of our bulletin in our icon for Epiphany. There's an axe lying there in the wilderness. He's picking up that axe like John Bunyan. (whistles) Paul Bunyan. (laughs) Forgive me, I was thinking of the theologian, the Christian theologian, okay? (laughs) And he's ready to swing that axe at that kudzu that's growing on your life. And he wants to hit it at the root. He wants to hit it at the root so that you can open up to the light of Christ. So that you can then bear much fruit. I mean, when God sees this room with the people that we have here and those precious children in the next room, what kind of potential do you think he sees? Mr. Woodruff, he saw all kind of potential to reach the world with a dadgum carbonated beverage. And he did it. He did it. We've got a product way better than that. You see, we're not selling anything. We're giving it away. We grow things here to share. I've said it before, I'll say it again. That way when I'm dead, you'll still remember and hear me saying it in your head. And that is, my pappy always had a big garden. The reason he had that big garden wasn't because of how much we ate, even though we would do our best share to knock it out of the park. But he loved to share what he grew. He loved it. I still remember living with him while while in college. He'd have that huge garden, work in it every single day. He was retired, but he worked harder than most of us in that garden. And when it came time to share what came in, you'd see him stop over here at this house, stop over here at the co-op, stop over, and he would gladly hand over the fruit of his labor. What is the fruit of your labor? Do you have anything that you're growing to share at all? Is there anything growing in your life at all for Christ? And if it is, are you sharing that fruit with others. An apple tree doesn't eat apples. We're not going to eat what we grow here at Harvest Point. We're giving it out for free. We're sharing it with anybody we want to come in contact with from week to week. The Great Commission, as I mentioned last week, has that interesting way of saying it. As you go, make disciples. That means when you leave this room, one of these days when I have our own building, I'm going to have a big sign right on where you exit. It's going to say, you are now entering the mission field. Because that's your mission field. You may not have a mission field in Africa or India or what, but you do here. What are you growing in your life? Are you on the wrong path? Do you have the wrong stuff planted in your garden? You know what? The great farmer is coming through this morning. And he's ready to plant seeds of the gospel in your life. Doesn't happen overnight, but you have to make the first step now. Today is the first step. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. The rest of eternity. I started this way and that was Jesus is coming back. That's what he said. It's one of the last things he said. I'm coming back. I mean, you read the last book, last page in your Bible. I'm coming back quickly. Lord, come. Come quickly. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming back. What are we going to have in our hands 
when he arrives. What are we going to have to show for to give the king? We can have an abundance. We can have a super abundance because he promised it. But it starts today. Will we, as Hosea says here, will we allow ourselves to be put in the shadow of his presence so that we can grow much fruit? Let's end this way by saying this. From me comes your fruit. It's not by your ingenuity. It's not by my wisdom, but by the Lord. From me comes your fruit. Amen.